Welcome to Hello Health Today, where health is a leadership strategy. I'm Dr. Carmen Mohan. Technically, production of season two has ended. However, it feels like we've come to a pivotal moment in time. One will all remember when all the restaurants closed and the museums went dark and the morning commute was rendered obsolete. COVID-19 has recreated the world of work under our feet. And so we're back on now in our newly sanitized podcasting studio at the request of you, our listeners. I'm going to start by answering questions you sent in. Why is COVID causing all the changes and excitement around the world? Well, first, let me just say that typically when I give an opinion, I have a lot more objective information to go on. I rely on medical studies and experience to give you good information. In the United States, the lack of widespread availability of test kits limits the amount of objective information we have at this point. There have been small studies published in the Annals of Internal Medicine and in the New England Journal of Medicine, so the information we have to go on in terms of answering questions regarding COVID-19 is extremely limited. So back to the question, why all the excitement around the world? The limitations on scientific and medical understanding make professionals worry. More than that, the facts we do know about COVID-19 are concerning because the virus has the potential to affect large numbers of people simultaneously, and it can kill some of those people. Worse, people who look and feel well can pass the virus on to other people. And even worse than that, the virus has an incubation period of about five days. That's a best guess made by experts based on what little we know about the virus so far. The incubation period may be longer. An incubation period is the time between contracting the virus and the time when you start to have symptoms. So you contract the virus, feel fine for five days, and then begin to have a fever, cough, and difficulty breathing. Meanwhile, all the people you've come into contact with during that asymptomatic time have been exposed. Some of those people will get really sick, and some might even die. So say you visit your wonderful grandmother who's living independently in her own home and you feel fine, just fine. You're not even coughing or sneezing. You're not even experiencing hay fever. You bring her flowers. But you happen to be one of those people who COVID-19 doesn't make symptomatic. You can still pass the virus on to your grandmother. And two weeks after your visit, maybe she'll be in the hospital unable to breathe. Let's go to our next question. Why doesn't society get so excited over traditional influenza? More people get the flu and die from it than what we're seeing with COVID, yet it is COVID driving all the global actions. Why is that? So let me just correct one assumption this particular listener has made about more people dying from the flu. Right now, experts at Harvard say COVID-19 is 10 to 15 times more deadly than the flu. The mortality rate varies dramatically. Kids and young adults are generally less likely to die. It's worth saying that some young people develop terrible responses to the infection, and they die quickly, dramatically, within days. Those 65 years of age and older are at much higher risk of dying, as we know of so far. 
And also remember that with the flu, we have therapies that have been shown to be effective at reducing symptoms and the duration of illness. We just don't have the same kinds of treatments that help patients with COVID-19. I really like one of the points this particular listener made, which is, I wish people got a lot more excited over influenza. You're right in that the flu season has been particularly bad this year, and the measures you should take to prevent getting the flu are very similar to those you should be taking to prevent COVID-19. By now, you've heard you should be washing your hands regularly, avoiding touching your face, wiping down all of the surfaces you touch over the natural course of your day. These surfaces should include your cell phone, laptop, your computer, keyboard, your screen, and the outside surface of the laptop light switches, doorknobs in your home, and if you're using a car, wipe down the car door handle, both the inside and the outside, the steering wheel, radio dials, and other buttons, and the gear shift. Did I mention the cell phone? Do the cell phone twice, like double clean. Every year in the fall, the Hello Health Clinic makes an effort to have all of our members get the flu vaccine. I'm really sorry to say we have never had 100% of our clinic members choose to be vaccinated. While many of us expect our scientists to try to develop a coronavirus vaccine, I think it's interesting that the collective attitude toward the new virus assumes people would be ready and eager to become vaccinated. If you've been a regular listener of Hello Health today, you've heard me say that when it comes to health, it's all personal. I'd say your opinion about whether or not vaccination is a good idea for you has a lot to do with your personal beliefs about the effectiveness of vaccines and your risk for contracting the virus. When you've cared for patients, as I have, who have been hospitalized with severe pneumonia related to influenza, you're quite thankful there's a vaccine available. The problem is that if you've never had the flu before or been aware that you had it, you're less likely to believe you are personally at risk for developing severe flu symptoms requiring hospitalization. Perhaps if we all had a more accurate belief about our risk for contracting the flu, we'd be much more ready to accept annual vaccination. Perhaps if we all had a more accurate understanding of passing on the flu to other people we know and love, we would have been wiping down surfaces much earlier in the flu season and we would have prevented the coronavirus outbreak. Now that I've lamented our poor personal habits related to preventing the seasonal flu, let me come back full circle to your question, which is essentially, why all the frenzy about COVID-19? I don't think anyone really knows, but I will say this. The human brain focuses on new threats and new information rather than old patterns it understands well and has accepted. We aren't ready to accept that COVID-19 can't be stopped, and so we're using extreme measures for now. The truth is we don't know if COVID-19 can be stopped or not, and we're using information from previous pandemics that suggest drastic measures required in social distancing costs money but saves lives. So let's go on to the next question. Can someone with COVID who is not exhibiting symptoms infect other people? So I really love this question because unlike many others we've received, the answer is straightforward and it's yes. My friend appears to be healthy. What is the risk of meeting up for a walk together? Can one of us unknowingly pass the virus to the other? Unfortunately, 
Yes. It's believed that one infected person with COVID-19 can spread the virus to two or three more people. One of the things that makes COVID-19 distinctly awful is its shedding time. With the flu, you can be mildly infectious for about two days before you develop symptoms. With COVID-19, you can be extremely infectious for about two weeks before you develop symptoms. This is also quite different from the last SARS epidemic where only symptomatic people were infectious. Those sick people could self-quarantine and prevent the spread. It's just awful that with COVID-19, you can unknowingly pass sickness to another person. With the flu, you stop being infectious, that is, you stop being a threat to other people, about 7 to 10 days after you become ill. In contrast, early data suggests it's possible for you to pass COVID-19 along to other people for almost 30 days. Another consideration, with the flu, if you pass it along, there's evidence that the person you gave it to will have less severe symptoms than you and be less infectious to other people. As the flu is passed from one person to another, it gets weaker and has a less powerful impact on our lives. So taking your example of walking with your friend, let's say you're feeling perfectly fine and you walk with your good friend, but then the next day you're in bed with a high fever from the flu. Unfortunately, your friend contracted the flu from you during that walk. She feels unwell, but maybe she doesn't develop a fever at all. COVID-19 doesn't seem to get weaker in this same way. You can be feeling perfectly fine, never develop symptoms, and give your good friend the virus that causes life-threatening pneumonia. It pains me to say this. Y'all know I'm a huge advocate for women walking and talking together. But for now, you should stick to walking outside by yourself or with those with whom you live. So... We're going to play a question submitted by audio by a listener who is in Texas. Hello. Hello, Health Today. Here's a question on COVID. I'm keeping a safe distance from others. I have not been around anyone actively coughing, and I wash my hands frequently. Can I still get COVID, and how? I just want to thank you, anonymous listener. Thank you for submitting this question. It's great to hear your voice. So... Let me just say in response that we touch our faces a lot more than we realize. We lean against tables, rest our heads on our hands, we fix our eyebrows, scratch our cheeks, put our hands against our mouths when we're surprised. Some folks chew their fingernails. A lot of our behaviors and gestures are unconscious and built into the way that we are in the world. It's really hard to stop. With this in mind, I'd just like to mention another question we received, which was, how large is the risk to contract COVID off of surfaces? We don't have the full answer to these questions because more research is needed regarding COVID-19 transmission mechanisms. We do know that infection can occur if a person touches an infected surface and then touches her eyes, nose, or mouth. It seems that the surface material does matter. So one small study, again, as they all are, found that COVID-19 coronavirus can survive up to four hours on copper, up to 24 hours on cardboard, and up to two to three days on plastic and stainless steel. 
So putting our propensity for touching our faces without realizing it, in combination with COVID's ability to live for days on surfaces, you can imagine a case where, say, a package is delivered to your home and you bring the box in. It's cardboard. You touch your face to wipe sweat away and suddenly maybe you've got COVID-19. It sounds completely paranoid as I say this. I'm only mentioning it to help everyone understand that we all need to take precautions. But our lack of understanding and experience with this virus places everyone at risk, and we can only do what we can do. I'm so glad you're doing what you can, Texas listener. On to the next question. We were asked... Is there any way to predict how long the closures and social distancing measures might be in place? Others had kind of similar questions to that one. I got, is this here to stay? How long will this social distancing thing last? I wish I could predict the future. There are a couple of pieces of data we need to make a better guess that answers these questions. First, we need test kits that are widely available so we can get an idea of how prevalent cases of asymptomatic infection are. That will help the scientists better understand immunity. It's hoped that once you get infected, you'll develop immunity to COVID-19 that helps protect you in the future. Next, we all need to understand that there's a likelihood of a second wave of coronavirus infection when we stop social distancing measures. For now, my best guess is we're going to be working remotely for about two months, maybe longer. We all need to understand that COVID-19 is not going to go away. We will not be able to go back to business as usual. Instead, it's likely that we'll have additional outbreaks over the next months and years. Our healthcare professionals and hospital systems will need new capabilities to handle COVID-19 effectively. The need for intense lockdown measures may ebb and flow as this goes on and we understand more. I got a question about vaccine. When will we get a COVID-19 vaccine? So according to some experts at Harvard, there have been two phase one trials that have begun on the vaccines. I am not privy to information or anything like uh, what's happening to try to test these first phases. Here are some things that you need to understand about how vaccines are developed. The first small trials called phase one are done to test potential candidates for vaccines to see if it's safe to use in people. Vaccines require three phases before we know they're both safe and effective. This whole process takes time. We will probably have a vaccine in one to two years. The more important question will become, is the vaccine effective at preventing the virus? My guess is we will have an effective vaccine in three to five years if we're lucky. This is just a guess. And then the even bigger question will become, will the future COVID-19 vaccine be widely used among the population, and only time will tell. One of our listeners in New York asked, will this have a mental health impact? I'm worried about me, my husband, and our kids with no social interaction. Many of you also reported anxiety about job loss. COVID-19 is already having a negative impact on our mental health. 
we know that loneliness is deadly. We also know that fewer things cause as much anxiety as financial stress. Anytime we're faced with uncertainty and a lack of control over our environment, we all feel at least some measure of fear. Remember that fear is a masterful distractor from what is most important and over the things we do have control. We might not be able to control job loss. We do have control over how we adapt to this new normal. How can you adapt to the current situation to improve it, even just a little? For example, if your kids are distance learning and you are working from home, the opportunity exists for all of you to have lunch together. You can all have fresh fruit and vegetables while discussing what's enjoyable about this time. What strategies are working to help everyone be productive? You can take short breaks to walk outside if only to get the sunshine on your face for a few moments. If you live alone, you can meet by video call with your friends for virtual international tea and coffee hour. The people who will not just survive, but thrive during this extended period of remote work are those who are creative with solving the problems that arise. Each of us has to take a proactive stance against distraction in her favorite guise as fear. Distraction is a thief of time, time you could have otherwise spent solving new problems as your situation changes. Thank you, New York listener, for this question because it raises more food for thought. The public health measures necessary for containing COVID-19 are having a direct impact on our economy. How much money is one human life worth? As a society, we might not ponder this kind of thing consciously, but we make decisions in our day-to-day that place a monetary value on human life. When it comes to health, it's all personal. And I'd say your opinion about how much one human life is worth has a lot to do with whether or not someone you love has died from the virus or is one of those at risk for dying if she contracts it. Right now, the measures that we're taking are preventing our healthcare system from becoming overwhelmed, which means our healthcare workers can help sick people more effectively. Also remember that healthcare workers are already becoming infected and being sent home until they are no longer infectious, and that's a longer time than usual. So it's important that we all try to prevent the need for healthcare and have it occur all at once. Preventing the system from becoming overwhelmed will require all of us to keep our distance from each other for now. So we've come to the action steps for today. And the action steps are related to the last question we received. What is the best measure I can take to prevent my family and me from getting COVID-19? Well, I've got some tips for you, and they're a little redundant. First, if it's financially feasible for you, please stay home. Make droplet precautions a way of life. And by that, I mean, if you have them, teach your children how to wash their hands well, to cough into their sleeves, and blow their noses into tissue that they dispose of correctly. Establish rules for hand washing that have everyone wash almost every hour on the hour. Wipe down all high-traffic touch points in your home at least once daily, preferably twice. These include tables, counters, armrests, doorknobs, light switches, computers, tablets, phones, especially the cell phone. Remember to wipe down your car. Stop touching your face. 
Wash your hands if you do touch your face. Make sure you are living in a healthy way. Feed your family fresh fruits and vegetables. Get a walk-in every day, even though you'll have to keep your distance from people who don't live with you. And try to meditate every day. Meditation will help you manage these stressful times. As long as you have questions for us and information to share, we're going to continue our bonus content for season two. Our next episode will be about how to protect your mental well-being while enduring this extended time working and socializing from a distance. Many of you have tips, strategies, and solutions that are working for you. If you're willing to share, please describe what's working, and we'll distribute the information here on our next podcast. Email me directly, carmen at hellohealthtoday.com, C-A-R-M-E-N at hellohealthtoday.com. Let us know if you'd like to be identified by name, company, your title or position, and location. You can absolutely send in helpful tips anonymously as well. Until next time, remember, today is good, even if you have to go about life differently than we did before. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Because I am a medical doctor, it's important for me to tell you that nothing I say here in this podcast can substitute for your doctor's advice. My lawyers make me say the same thing this way. The contents of this podcast are neither intended nor implied to be relied on for medical diagnosis, care, or treatment concerning any individual. Under no circumstances does this podcast create a physician-patient relationship, nor does it constitute engagement in the practice of medicine or the provision of any healthcare service to an individual patient. This podcast should not be used as a substitute for professional diagnosis and treatment. Consult a healthcare provider before making any healthcare decisions or to obtain guidance about any medical conditions. The producers of this podcast expressly disclaimed responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of reliance on the information contained in this podcast.